0: with the good news of restoration. You build a highway through the wilderness and you come to us and bring us home. Comfort us with the expectation of your saving power made known to us in Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's stand together and let's worship
1: Take a seat. Uh, My name is Andy Petrie. I have the great privilege of uh, being our ministry leader for Celebrate Recovery here at Fellowship Fayetteville. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, And we want to welcome those that are joining us on our live stream. Thank you for worshiping virtually with us. We're so glad we can be here with you today. Uh, And I want to say in a special thank you uh, for those of you that are here with us in the room today, especially as we're navigating all these new policies and procedures and the state and local mandates. uh, We know that there are probably a, a diversity of opinions and thoughts in here, but fellowship, I am so thankful that we can be a church that can put our differences aside and come together in unity to worship the one thing that truly matters, and that is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Ah it's so good to be here with you all and so thank you guys so much for working with us and in honoring just this new season of doing things so that we can t- continue to worship together here on Sunday mornings. Hey, we got a couple things going on here at Fellowship Fayetteville that we wanna make you aware of. First thing is that our women's ministry is kicking off in the fall in full force. We've got uh, two women's Bible studies that are starting up, uh, and if you're wanting to know what those are and uh, how to sign up for those, you can head to our website, fellowshipfayetteville.org, and check out under our events and classes tab there. Also, we have uh, something called our backports Retreat that's gonna be September 25th and 26th. Uh, and if you're interested in checking that out and seeing what that is and getting registered for that, make sure you do that before the end of this week because the registration ends at the end of this week. And so again, you can check that out on our website or contact Margot Badespa. She would love to uh, connect with you and get you plugged in uh, with that as well. And the other thing that is happening that I am especially excited about is that Celebrate Recovery has started meeting again right here at Fellowship Fayetteville on Friday nights at 7 o'clock in this room. Yes. Yes. Uh, And if you're interested in in just what Celebrate Recovery is and want to get plugged into that, you can text hashtag CRNew to the number right up there on the screen, and part of our team would love to connect with you uh, and and be able to to just share some information about that with you. Uh, If you're not sure what Celebrate Recovery is, Celebrate Recovery is a ministry here at Fellowship that uh, seeks to help us navigate through life's hurts and struggles. And it seeks to be a safe place for us to encounter the healing presence of Christ as we walk together in community and vulnerability closer towards Jesus. Uh, And I know for me, uh, Celebrate Recovery has been a huge part of my journey towards healing and hope over the past six years, and especially over these past six months. Uh, If you'll allow me to be honest with you for a second here... These past six months for me have been especially difficult. Uh, My my anxiety and my depression have kind of hit me in full force, not to mention the the fear of failure, the sense of inadequacy, not to mention all the collateral damage that kind of happens when our whole world is just turned on its head for six months. And I'm so grateful for myself to have the love and the community that I have found for myself through Celebrate Recovery Because I know the me of six years ago would have ran back to my old coping mechanisms, whether it was alcohol or pornography uh, or unhealthy relationships. And so I'm glad that fellowship seeks to be a place where it's okay to not be okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, (laughs) I mentioned that this morning because maybe these past six months for you have been especially difficult as well. Maybe there have been some hurts or struggles that you've been dealing with. Uh, maybe it's been hard to navigate this season. And maybe you just need a safe place to come and be. Uh, Celebrate Recovery would love to be that place for you. And we would love to see you there on a Friday night. All you have to do is just register your seat just like you do here on Sunday morning. And just show up and worship. Just like we're about to do here in this moment. As we get to come together and worship the God that has been with us through this entire season. He's here with us right now, and he's gonna continue to be the one guiding us forward. Would you pray with me so we continue in worship? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. And God, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who through him and by him, we've found redemption and hope and a new way forward in you. Father, would you help us to worship in spirit and truth this morning? And God, would you be glorified in our hearts and in this place? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: grace, for he made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we may have the righteousness of God in him. It is not through what we do, but through what you have done for us, the works of Christ we can rest in. God, that's our prayer. Let us rest. Let us rest in the works of our Savior, Jesus. I'm thankful for that gift you give us through your Son, It's in his precious name.
2: fellowship. It is so great to see y'all again. I'm so happy to be together. Yeah, that's how I feel too. Last Sunday, I just stood in the foyer all morning. It was so great to just see your faces, except I couldn't see your faces. But this part of you right here looked awesome. So it's just so great to have y'all together. And to the people joining us on our live stream, I'm so glad you're with us as well. And I know many others will listen to the podcast. They'll watch the video recordings. And so however you're joining us today, we're glad you're with us as we worship our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. My name's Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. And the last time I was on this stage and there were actual human people in the seats, I preached and then we closed the church for over five months. I'm hoping for a better outcome this time. Now, I know this thing's not over. We still don't have a sense of of normalcy, right? I mean, even right now, things don't feel normal in here, and we're all still waiting and praying. We're all still trying to make good decisions for our family, for our health, for our job, for our church, and also know Almost everyone in here has experienced some kind of loss during this season, right? You've experienced the loss of income, perhaps. Some of you have experienced the loss of someone that you cared about, and maybe it was due to this pandemic or or maybe it was from other causes, but you couldn't really celebrate that person and gather as you normally would have, and that's been hard. I know that for many Family continues to be a difficult thing to figure out. School continues to swirl. And many of our seniors have just been isolated for months. They couldn't even enjoy a visit from a family member or a hug from a grandchild. And I've felt a lot of that with you. There have been times that i felt that anxiety and that fear. I've been disappointed as things were canceled, especially for my kids I've been disappointed that many of the things that make high school and college fun have just not happened for them. And yet, I've also been encouraged. I've been encouraged by you. I've been encouraged as I've seen you out there continuing to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I've been so encouraged by our community group leaders as they took seriously their charge to care for those in their groups. And whether it was delivering Sonic drinks to our seniors, or hosting a drive-through graduation for our high schoolers, taking meals to South Church, I've just continued to see our community group leaders in the Body of Christ here at Fellowship love and serve in Jesus' name. And so, on behalf of our whole team here, I want to say thank you, thank you for keeping the ministry going. Thank you for your generosity. Your giving has allowed the gospel work here at Fellowship Fayetteville to continue on during this shutdown. And I also want to say thank you to our elders. Our elders have provided clear, consistent, careful leadership through all of this. I want you all to think about what those men have on their collective shoulders. Not only are they concerned about y'all's physical health, they're charged with taking care of the spiritual health of so many. And I've heard some people say in the last few months that while we were shut down, the devil was winning. That's not what I saw. what I saw was a group of committed, bought-in believers with a decentralized ministry model that even when we couldn't gather for five months, the work of the ministry went on. Groups gathered in backyards. Many of you hosted a street church and invited your neighbors to come and, and worship and open the Bible. The gospel has continued to go out on the Internet and in the driveway. People have still opened their Bible on the patio or Under a tent, the word of God has continued to be proclaimed. And so now here we are. Still not 100%, still not full speed, still not like we want to be, but we're gathered. We're gathered safely. And we're going to begin the final section of our year long clarity series, and it's titled simply, Gospel. So, over the next 10 weeks, We're going to look at how the gospel transforms a life, transforms a church, transforms a city and beyond. And we're going to do it in the book of 1 Thessalonians. So go ahead and turn there with me if you would, the book of 1 Thessalonians. It's near the end of your Bible. Here's a pro tip for you. Every book in your Bible that begins with the letter T is together. So if you get in the T's, just keep turning toward the front and you'll hit 1 Thessalonians because it's the first one of those books. And as you're turning there, I want to remind you that a good Bible study method for all of us, whether we're worshiping in here or studying on our own at home, is to always consider the context of a book. What kind of literature is this? Where does this fit into the larger story of Scripture? Because we don't study every kind of biblical literature the same. We don't read an Old Testament wisdom book like Proverbs, the same way we would read a New Testament letter like 1 Thessalonians. That's what it is. It's a letter. Or you can call it an epistle if you want people to think you're really smart. So let's get to the story behind the story of this letter. That's gonna help us understand it better. And to do that, we're gonna open up just for a minute in the book that we've been in for the last five weeks. That's the book of Acts. Now, you'll all remember... The book of Acts takes place right after Jesus has died, been resurrected, and it opens with Jesus ascending into heaven. The Holy Spirit comes, fills the church, and God begins a new work as this gospel message goes out through the church from Jerusalem to Antioch, across modern-day Turkey, into Greece, eventually all the way to Rome. And the primary missionary that carries the gospel is Paul. Paul and his little missionary team, and one of the cities that they visited was the city of Thessalonica. Now, Thessalonica was a major, important city in Greece, and actually, it's still a major city today. The city of Thessaloniki, which is the modern equivalent of Thessalonica, is the second largest city in Greece. The only city that's bigger is Athens. And so Paul and his team visited the city of Thessalonica. Now, in those days, Thessalonica was the golden corral of religions, they had a little bit of everything, and you could just pick from it, and if you wanted, you could stick it in the chocolate fountain. They had temples to the emperor. They had temples to the Greek gods and goddesses. They had temples to the Egyptian gods and goddesses. They had enough of a Jewish population. They had, of a, they had a synagogue, and so into this golden corral religious buffet rolls Paul with his little team. He's got Silas, his main man with him, and he's got a young guy that they've picked up on the trip named Timothy. And so for three straight weeks, they go and teach in the synagogue, and we're told over in Acts 17, the contents of their message. It says, Paul reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ or is the Messiah. And as Paul was proclaiming this in the synagogue, they were also meeting tons of Gentiles, tons of Greeks who had grown up in this religious buffet, and now they were realizing the truth of this message that God had sent his son, Jesus, to die for their sins. So now Paul and his team have this unlikely combination of Jews and Gentiles, and that's their church. That's their church in Thessalonica, this These random people who've said, I want to follow Jesus. And so it seems like in the passage, they start meeting at a guy named Jason's house. I bet everybody in here knows a guy named Jason. Every Jason I've ever known has been awesome, to be honest. I love the Jasons in my life. So they start gathering at Jason's house, and they're there, and they're trying to understand what it means to follow Jesus. And all of a sudden, someone's banging on the door. It's an angry mob. And they drag Jason and some of the early believers out. And they end up dragging them before the town council. And look what their accusation is. These men have turned the world upside down. Now they've come here also. This Jesus. And I'm sorry, I can't see that very well. I'm just going to go to my book. And. It's on a 40-foot screen behind me. Did y'all know that? And Jason has received them, and they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying, there is another king, Jesus. Well, the town council takes this seriously, and they drag, uh, they drag the, the church out, and they have Jason put up a security bond to promise there won't be any more trouble. And so the other believers say to Paul and Silas, man, you guys better get out of town. Things are getting pretty dicey, so they do. Overnight, they go to Berea, and they're received pretty well in Berea, but the same troublemakers from Thessalonica follow them there, so they have to leave there. They end up in Athens. That's what Finley taught us about a couple of weeks ago. And while they're in Athens, Paul's worried. He's worried about the little church in Thessalonica. He's worried about Jason and the the young believers they've left behind, and so when he can't stand it anymore... He sends Timothy back to Thessalonica. We think he sends Silas to Philippi as well. That's why Paul's alone in Athens. So Paul moves on to Corinth, and eventually, Silas and Timothy catch up with him there and they have a reunion. And that's where Paul gets the news he's been waiting to hear. How's the church in Thessalonica doing? Oh, it's not just surviving, it's thriving. Paul is overjoyed. He's so relieved to hear that things are going well in Thessalonica. And so he sits down and writes a letter, a letter that he sends back to the Thessalonians with Timothy. It's a Holy Spirit-inspired letter, and we still have it today. It's open in front of you. It's the book of 1 Thessalonians. So as we read this letter over the next 10 weeks, gathered in here, or as you read it at home, I want you to remember that little church that meets at Jason's house. That's who this is written to. I want you to remember that these are people who know what it's like to be dragged out of their home by an angry mob just for having church. And I want you to hear it read in the voice of Paul, the church planter, the pastor who knows them and loves them. Who's worried about them? As he writes this letter, he's picturing individual faces in his mind. And when you're gathered in your community groups, I want you to just take a moment, look around and say to yourself, this is just like the church at Jason's house. This was written to them, but it's for us. Then let the Holy Spirit do his work in your heart and in your mind as you read his word. So let's do that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in Jesus Christ. Just that opening verse, verse 1, it's, it, it opens like a traditional letter in the early cultures. It's kind of like our emails. Who's it from? Who's it to? It's from Paul, he says, Silvanus or Silas and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God, God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, grace to you and peace. And it's interesting what Paul does in that greeting he takes a traditional Jewish greeting, peace, which is shalom in the Hebrew, and he combines it with a typical Greek greeting, but he adjusts it. And so a Greek letter would normally open with the word greetings. But if you change the last couple of letters of that word in Greek, you get the word charis, which is grace. And so Paul's taking Greek culture, Jewish culture, bringing it together to create something new, a Christian greeting, grace and peace to you. Paul continues, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and your labor of love and steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, and that word translated brothers really means siblings. It could say brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction. With the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. And what an opening to this very personal letter that Paul's sending back to the church. He's so happy to get this good report from Timothy. Can't you just feel it in the opening verses of this letter? He says, We're so grateful to God for you, we pray for you all the time. You know, one of the things we always ask when we're studying a letter is, what's the tone of the letter? Is the writer happy? Is he angry? Is it exhortation? Is it encouragement? And I think it's obvious here that the tone of this letter is joy and gratitude. Paul is just so happy that this church at Thessalonica is doing well. And as is typical with Paul, he crams so much just into these opening verses. I want us to notice a couple of threes so to speak. The first one is I want us to notice this, the Trinity. I've got them in bold on the screen to make it obvious for you, and I would suggest this is a great thing to mark in your Bible. If you're not in the habit of marking in your Bible, take a deep breath and pull out that pen and and do it. Next time you study this, it'll remind you that we see God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit in these opening verses. In my Bible, I just wrote Trinity in the margin. All through this book of 1 Thessalonians, we're gonna be reminded, God the Father creates the church, and the church is committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, and the church is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And one of the reasons I wanted to highlight this is, if anyone says to you, well, the Trinity's not in the Bible, the Trinity was a doctrine that was created later and laid back over the Bible, well, they're ignoring obvious biblical evidence. Y'all, this is the second oldest document we have in our New Testament. The only thing written in the New Testament before 1 Thessalonians was Galatians. We think 1 Thessalonians was written around AD 50, give or take a year. And so what this tells us is the Christian church was Trinitarian from the earliest days, from the very beginning. Believers believed that there was one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. And there's a second set of three that I want us to notice in these opening verses, and it's a familiar triad of three virtues, faith, hope, and love. John Calvin said that this verse, 1 Thessalonians 1.3, was a brief definition of Christianity because these three virtues mark the life of a believer. See, faith looks back. Faith believes the promises that were told in the past. Faith believes that the things that happened in the past affect us today. But faith also looks up as we believe that God is real and that he's very much active in our lives. Paul tells us here, this faith leads to action. He says the work of faith, it's the good deeds of faith. It's a faith that propels us to do works done in love. Love looks to the presence. Love is right now, and love looks outward toward others. You know, the Greek word that's translated love here, you're familiar with it, it's agape. It's that self-sacrificing love of God. It's the highest form of love in the Greek. And it's interesting, the word that's translated laboring here, really, really leans in on the toilsome nature, on the difficulty. And so what Paul's saying is a self-sacrificing love that continues to love even when it's hard. And these are anchored, Paul says, by a hope, a steadfast hope. Of course, hope looks to the future. Hope is about things yet to come. Now, in English, a lot of times when we say hope, We say it with something we don't think is really gonna happen. Like, I hope we're gonna win, but I don't think we will. That's not the way Paul uses it. What Paul is talking about is a positive expectation, almost a certainty. Paul says here, it's steadfast. Why? Because it's built on the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says, this faith, hope, and love are all a result of the Thessalonians receiving the gospel, And notice this, he says the gospel came not only in words, but in power. And so the gospel does travel not only in words, but it does contain words because it's a message. And so the gospel's not just words, but it does have words. And so if we're gonna spend 10 weeks talking about the gospel, maybe here on our first week, we need to just nail down what is the gospel? What is the message? that makes up this good news, right? That's what gospel literally means. It's good news. Well, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, a summary of the gospel message. He said, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas. That's Peter. Peter. And then to the 12, that's the disciples. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. Paul says this is of first importance. This is the gospel message. Jesus died for our sins, just as the Bible predicted. He was buried, and he rose from the dead, just as the Bible said he would. He would. And then he appeared to many people, including the apostles, whose charge it was to take this gospel message to the world. Now, the Holy Spirit uses that gospel message. Paul says, with power and full conviction. And so people in Thessalonica, from synagogue-going Jews to pagan temple-worshiping Greeks, hear the gospel message, and they believe. Everything changes. Paul says, you saw how we lived, and then you imitated us. And by imitating us, you imitated the Lord himself. Today, we call that Christ-likeness. See, the gospel brings about a complete transformation of our behavior. Not because we're trying to earn something. Not because we don't want God to be as mad at us anymore. But because we realize God's already done everything for us in Christ. And now an obedient life is just a response to that. And Paul says here, look, we know it was tough. We saw what happened in Thessalonica. We know you got dragged out of your house. And we know things have been bad for you there since we've been gone. But we also know that you were joyful when you received the gospel message. And it was the joy of the Holy Spirit. Look, it's not just affecting them. It's going beyond Thessalonica. Macedonia, that's the province where Thessalonica was. The whole province was being affected, and even the neighboring province of Achaia. When the gospel takes hold of a city, it can change the whole region. And at the heart of all of this is the gospel message. That's why the Clarity Series has brought us all the way up to this point. Gospel And so whether you've been with us from the very beginning of this experience, or maybe you're just jumping in for the first time today, maybe you're watching online for the first time, I just want to put in context of our Clarity Series how we have arrived at the gospel. We started back in December. We talked about the hope of a coming one, a king, a Messiah. And then at Christmas, we celebrated his birth. Then we spent several months looking at his life and his teaching. And then we really focused in on his sacrifice as we saw Jesus go to the cross to pay for our sins. And then at Easter, we celebrated his resurrection and we we looked at his post-resurrection appearances. And then we took our summer and we spent some time just thinking deeply about the implications of his life, death, and resurrection for us, what those told us about us and about God and about our relationship. Then we spent the last five weeks looking at how his mission was carried on as the church began to spread from Jerusalem to Antioch and then across Turkey and into Europe. And now we come to the sum of it all, the gospel message, the good news that the Messiah King, Jesus Christ, died for our sins and then rose, conquering sin and death and offering us eternal life. This gospel message is what writes our story into God's story. This gospel message is what binds us to God and to each other, as well as to every other believer that's come before us. So this entire clarity experience, this attempt by our church to see Jesus more clearly has brought us to this gospel. And so now we want to believe it. We want to understand it. And we want to be radically changed by it. Now, I love Dr. John Stott. He's one of my favorite Bible commentators. Are we allowed to have favorite Bible commentators? The answer is yes, but only if you're a huge Bible nerd like me. Here's what Dr. Stott said The gospel creates the church, and the church spreads the gospel. The gospel shapes the church as the church seeks to live a life that's worthy of the gospel. When that happens, when The gospel takes hold. It begins to transform lives. When people internalize the message of grace and forgiveness, everything starts to change. Not just for them, but for their community and even the surrounding areas. Because when the lives change, when the gospel comes in power, when Paul says, You've become imitators of us and of the Lord. He's saying the gospel has brought about a radical change in behavior. And we're gonna spend the rest of this book unpacking what that looks like. But Paul's given us the big picture right here in these opening verses. It's a life marked by faith. We know what we believe and we believe it with everything we've got. And it's a life marked by hope. We know how this story ends, and if we hold on to that, we won't be blown around by everything that comes our way in our life, by every piece of good news, by every change in the way society thinks. And it's a life marked by love, a love that presses on even when it's difficult, a love that labors on behalf of others, I want y'all to think about the impact we could have in our current culture. We live in a climate of division, even hate. If we could bring a radical, self-sacrificing Christian love into this culture, if we could love even those we disagree with, God could really use that. The gospel is a message, and the fruit of that message is a changed life. lives change when the gospel comes in power. So if you've never taken that gospel message and internalized it, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ and believed that he died on the cross for your sins and rose again and that you can have eternal life, you can do that right now. It's as simple as a heart-level commitment to Jesus Christ, our King, our Messiah, and then you can be part of this Jesus movement that's turning the world upside down, and then you can proclaim that there's a new king. Because if you let the gospel begin to radically transform your life, it won't just change you, it'll change your household. And if God uses the gospel to change your household, that could change your whole apartment building or your whole street. And if the gospel changes your apartment building or your street, it could change your neighborhood. If the gospel changes your neighborhood, it could change Fayetteville. And, y'all, if we change Fayetteville, we could change the world because that's exactly what was happening in Thessalonica. And it all started with that little church that met at Jason's house where the gospel came in power and lives were changed. Hey, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the truth of this gospel message. Lord, thank you that Jesus did in fact step out of heaven, take on human flesh, go to the cross and die in our place, paying for our sins. Lord, thank you that Jesus rose and through his victory, he secured victory for us. And all we have to do to lay hold of it is have faith. So Lord, I pray, give us that faith. Help our unbelief. And Lord, let that faith begin to change us from the inside out. Lord, I pray that we would be imitators of you and that the change you affect in us would change not just us, but our whole community and beyond. And Lord, let it all be because of your great love.
0: Now let's respond in worship to that good news that Michael gave us good news of the gospel, let's let's enjoy that as we worship and give praise to our King. Let's stand together.
3: justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God.
2: living hope lead us out to live radically transformed lives that express the gospel to our city. Hey, as you leave, if you'd like to pray with someone, if you hang a ride outside the doors, you'll see a tent. There's people there who'd love to pray with you. I'm going to ask you to just hold tight as our ushers are going to dismiss us so we can leave safely. Fellowship, we love you. We'll see you next week.